Hello friends. I have a very special guest today. If you have the words PTSD, miscarriage, or divorce in your vocabulary or your life experience, you are going to be blessed by the story of Rachel Sherburn Mooney. I met her when I first started out as a local group leader for Forward Women. And she has then, uh, since then, gone on to do other things. And she's going to tell us a bit of her story and why she's coming out as one of the instructors for our life strategy retreat to enliven your life. And if you wonder what that means, you need to listen. Grab your girlfriend and a glass of wine. Rachel, Donna. This is so fun. <laughs> this is so fun. We, we can get to talking for hours, and uh, I'm going to have to keep looking at the clock to make sure that we don't go over time. Because <laughs> you, uh, you embody a, a kind of an energy and an attitude that I think is perfect for what we're trying to accomplish with the Life Strategy Retreat in November, and I'm so excited that you're going to come. <laughs> I am so thrilled. The plane tickets are bought. I have my bags will be packed and I'm so excited to head out west and meet these amazing women. Oh, oh, they're going to love you and you're going to love this experience. You're going to be in awe when you see this place where we're staying. <laughs> this is so beautiful. Oh, I've seen pictures and I've heard people who have been there and they have all raved about it. So my, my anticipation is definitely peaked. Expectations are high. So... Um, let's hear a little bit about Rachel, your, you know, quick life story <laughs> in a cell, five or 10 minutes of who's Rachel and what do you bring to the table at the life strategy retreat? Oh man, what a loaded question. Who is Rachel and what does she bring to the table? Okay. Well, Rachel is an air force brat who ended up joining the Air Force, got a full scholarship at Louisiana State University, commissioned as an officer in the Air Force, and moved to Langley Air Force Base up in Virginia, where I did media and communication work for the F-15, and then the F-22, the Air Force's newest fighter jet at the time. So did that for a couple years, deployed to Baghdad in 2007, had a pretty life-changing experience overseas right after Saddam had been executed, the troop surge was happening. And it was really there that I realized how important faith was, not only to me, but to the troops and the people that I was serving with that were in harm's way and, and facing their own mortality every day. And so long story short, uh, felt God leading me out of the Air Force. I separated as a captain to become a full-time missionary for a nonprofit that served troops and families, really dealing with the internal wounds of war. Yeah. So PTSD, divorce, depression, suicide, things that um, I had seen many of my comrades uh, endure or go through. And so I left the Air Force in 2009, but started raising my support to be a fully supported missionary in 2008, right, right when the stock market was crashing, which was probably <laughs> the least <laughs> opportune time to right. quit a good government job and say, hey, who wants to give me money so I can... I can follow this calling, but long story short, another long story short, um, God answered those prayers. I had a team of people that supported me and I reported to my new job as a missionary doing media for this nonprofit based out of Virginia called military ministry. Now crew military. It's a division of campus crusade for Christ. Oh, so I did cool. all of that. 
Yeah. Are you familiar with Campus Crusade or Crew? Of course. I'm familiar with Campus Crusade and they changed their name to Crew. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that they're connected with with this. It makes me almost cry. I'm too excited to cry right now. But my dad, you know, experienced the PTSD from World War II. They didn't have Mm. these services for that generation. No. And he drank himself to death. I'm so sorry. I just, I, that's part of the reason why I do what I do because so many people Mm. haven't had access to this healing. So, so excited that you're bringing this, this experience to the table. Yeah. Well, it is so, it's so common and so prevalent and prevalent. And we, we hear about it more now, but certainly in your father's generation, there was a lot of uh, stigma there. And there still is to some degree with coming out and saying, Hey, I've got I'm PTSD or I'm struggling in this way. Yeah. Um, and so it's really such a common thing. I think two out of three returning veterans has PTSD. Um, and though you'll probably never hear about them admitting it, it publicly, a lot of them do suffer. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. And I loved serving there. And during that time, I got married to someone that I had known for a long time and, thought it was happily ever after swept me off my feet. And unfortunately a year into our marriage, um, he wasn't being faithful and had moved out on our 18 month anniversary. And that began what I call the dark years. Uh, and the dark years were me going, okay, God, how in the world could this have happened? Everything seemed to be lining up so well. And now I feel like my life has been turned upside down. What do I do? And that was really where I, um, God began to speak to me about what I needed to do to go from this place of despair to a place of hope. And so there were years of separation where I fought for my marriage, did everything I thought possible. And ultimately, God brought me through the five steps I needed to learn in order to find hope again. And I've written those in a book that's called Unbounded Hope that I didn't publish till years later, but I began writing in the midst of walking out this broken marriage. And so about Five years after we got married, um, finally the divorce was final. But before all of that, I started my own coaching business, um, did four years as a missionary, and then used my master's degree in organizational leadership, um, got a coaching a coaching certificate, and decided that I was going to go and become a coach. And what started as some personal coaching ended up turning into some leadership coaching and executive coaching. And I did that for a couple of years, providing for myself um, in the midst of, like I said, my marriage falling apart. And then I took a year and I traveled around the world. So after oh, everything awesome. was final, I did what I call my eat, pray, love year with my best girlfriend who had also been through a divorce. And we circumnavigated the globe, did a lot of soul searching, a lot of praying, a lot of journaling and reflecting and figured out who we were apart from our job status, our relationship status, the things that we owned, um, the, the habits that we had and all of those things that so easily define us when you're traveling the world with nothing but a backpack and you're in a foreign country where no one knows you, you have to really rethink um, who you think you are and what really matters in life. And so that was most of uh, 2016. I spent traveling around the globe. That sounds like a dream to me, just <laughs> a dream. I, I can't tell you. And you know, my first, my first question when you said that, that you figured out who you were do you think that that's pretty much guaranteed after a year on the road like that? Or is it possible to still be somewhat blind after going through that processing? What, what was the key that helped you to turn? Hmm. You know, I think there's something about traveling that is very, can be very 
eye-opening and cathartic. I also would say, I think there's something about traveling that can make you a little uh, self-focused in some ways, overly self-focused and a little selfish. So when you don't have anyone relying on you, and I met a lot of people who were kind of what I would call traveling vagabonds in a loving way, um, you can kind of do what you want when you want with no accountability. And so in some ways, what really propelled me and excited me about coming home was I wanted to be in community. I missed having, besides just my best friend, I missed having people that I could pour into and could pour into me and doing life in a more normal fashion. So I would say, yes, I think that traveling can be a beautiful vehicle for self-discovery, but I think that can also be a vehicle that kind of leads you to become a little more self-seeking and, and can even shut you off from really living in a healthy community, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you, you went for A and you, you <laughs> um, experienced this transformation that helped you figure out who you are. So you come back from this trip in 2016 and what did you do next? Well, I knew that I didn't want to go back to Virginia, which is where I'd been living for the last 11 years. And I always wanted to live in Texas. So I did a lot of praying and discerning and packed up the little bit of stuff that I had left after my divorce that I hadn't sold or just given away and drove to Dallas, Texas, where by the grace of God, I had a welcoming aunt and uncle who let me crash with them, which we joked would only be for a couple of weeks. Um, they joked that I had nine months because they had one son who had lived at home for nine months after college. And I laughed and said, there's no way I'm going to live here for nine months. Long story short, I lived there for nine months and um, did some coaching, started doing some speaking and ended up working part-time for the nonprofit, which is how I met you called Forward Women. Right. And it was working that I was able to meet some amazing women and really just discover the passion that I have for helping connect women, especially women in uh, executive women, women in leadership. And I did that for about a year, did some more. I was doing coaching and speaking individually. And I also published my book during that time and was doing all of that. And then out of the blue, I got offered a job in Fort Worth that I was not looking for and never thought I would work full-time job ever again because I love my freedom and I had a, a pretty cool setup, but I prayed about it and just God made it so clear. This is where I was supposed to go. And so I packed up my stuff from Dallas, got an apartment in Fort Worth, furnished it, moved there all in about two weeks. And I just sense have I made a dream board that year that my life was going to be changing. And I'm on my dream board. I had lots of different things that are interestingly enough, most have come true. And I just spoke out loud. This was a year that I was going to meet my husband. I wanted to get remarried. I wanted to have a family. And I thought, you know what? I've been, it had been three years since my divorce. And I was like, I'm so ready. And I knew that I was not the girl that was supposed to do online dating. That works for some people. That was not my path. Not your thing. And so not my thing. And, um, and yeah, I just prayed and believed that God would send the right guy into my life at the right time. So I accepted this job in Fort Worth, knew no one in that town and showed up. And my third day on the job, I got an email from an, a friend of mine who had been a missionary with me at military ministry and my first paying coaching client. So we were close friends. And she sent me this email that said, Hey, Rachel, how are you doing? I had a dream recently that you were dressed in white. Give me a call. Let's catch up. So I'm like, what? So I called Tina the next day. This is my fourth day on the job. 
and I'm all, I'm doing driving from back from Dallas to Fort Worth. I was still wrapping up some work with some coaching clients. And I said, Tina, tell me about this dream. And she said, well, a couple of weeks ago, I dreamed that you were getting married. You were wearing a white wedding dress. You were so happy. So tell me all about it. Who's the lucky guy? And I'm, I'm looking, thinking to myself, Tina, you have no idea. I'm as single as they come. There is not a man on the horizon. Like I am definitely, definitely single. And I said, but I'm, I really believe this is the year I'm going to meet him. I'm so ready to get married. I feel healed. I'm ready to love sacrificially. I'm not looking for someone to complete me. I'm looking for someone to share my life with and someone to pour into. And, and she said, well, let's pray right now that you meet your future husband and hopefully God will bring him into your life soon. So we pray as we're driving down the road and I say, okay, I got to go. I'm, I'm at my new office. I got to jump in. I got to, you know, work the rest of the day. So I get out of my car, go up to my new office. And I kid you not an hour within the hour, I'm informed that we have some clients in town from Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're going to take them to lunch. And do I want to join? And I say, sure. And out of the conference room walks this very handsome young man who is now my husband. And (laughs) I met him on my fourth day on the job and sparks flew and became friends and started talking on the phone and started dating long distance. And then six months later, we were engaged. Three months after that, we were married. And, um, yeah, that was about a year ago. We got engaged. So that's been my whirlwind life. So now I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now you're in Tennessee, which is where he was based. And uh, that's just an amazing story of faith and walking it out um, with joy and expectation. Not, Not waiting for your life to start once that love connection happened, but living while you're waiting. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know when, when things are going to happen or when God wants to open a new season or, or turn the page to a new chapter. And I certainly want to enjoy as many moments or every moment that I can um, in the while, not in the, I'll be happy when, or I'll start living when I'm going to be happy and joyful and choose hope while I'm in this season, whatever the season may be. Right. Right. That's the hard place. A lot of people end up thinking, well, of course I'd be happy if I met the man of my dreams on my fourth day of work, or of course I'd be happy if I had the ideal job and, um, trying to figure out how to manufacture joy before you have the answer is a little bit harder, but that seemed to come to you. Do you think that's something that, that came to you after your journey around the world, or was it something that's been instilled in you from, from earlier in life? Gosh, Donna, that's a a great question. I wish I could say I'm always the great steward of joy. Um, And I'll be in in total transparency. Over the last couple months, my life has changed dramatically. So I moved to Knoxville, was married, am married, and um, wanted to start a family with my husband. And so ended up deciding after a lot of prayer and discernment, though I loved the job that I worked in in Fort Worth, that they allowed me to work remotely here, which was a, a tremendous blessing. I did that for seven months, but it was working from home all day, doing sales, and I just knew it wasn't my heart's calling. It wasn't the thing that lit me up, and I could have done it and made good money and continued to to look impressive on paper, but I knew it wasn't my long-term thing. And so after a lot of discernment and talking to my husband, I decided to quit this very nice corporate job to do. Drum roll, please. I wasn't sure. (laughs) I wasn't sure. And so 
made the big leap knowing that there was something out there and um, ended up getting pregnant, having a miscarriage, getting pregnant again, um, and having another miscarriage. Mm. And it was during the the last couple months, I just had uh, my second surgery to heal from the second miscarriage. It was in that season of feeling very nauseous and very morning sickness and not working a job. And not really being able to do a whole lot of value because most days I was trying to not pass out or throw up that I really began to question, okay, I think I know who I am and I've done all this self-work and I think I know how to live a life of joy and hope, but I will be fully honest, Donna, those six or seven weeks were some of the toughest as I sat there thinking, what value am I adding? How am I significant? I can't even cook a meal for my husband. I'm not making any money. I'm sitting on the sofa. Some days all I can do is watch Hallmark, the Hallmark channel. Like what is, I'm not that person. What does this mean? And it's slowly but surely I realized that God was stripping away even more layers of things that I didn't even realize I allowed to define myself, my productivity, my significance in the eyes of others. You know, I went from being kind of this hot shot to people would say, what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, so I'm in transition. I quit my job. You know, do you have kids? No, no kids. So, you know, you're doing not volunteering yet. It was this weird season where I, I believe God was allowing me to be stripped away of all the things I used I, to give myself significance and self-worth. And it really forced me to consider what does give me joy? Who am I even on a deeper level? So I say all that to say, I don't have all the answers and I'm still figuring it out, but I know that what I realized and what I would call my season of forced rehab is, is that unknowingly I was in some ways an addict to getting things done and being productive and having people pat me on the back and think that I was impressive. And when you're sitting on the sofa in your sweatpants and your one accomplishment for the day is getting a shower. Those days I didn't feel incredibly significant, but God was teaching me a much more meaningful lesson right. about I'm enough apart from anything that I do. Um, and so for someone who's an overachiever, perfectionist, high achiever, th that season of not being able to do much and feeling so sick was probably one of the toughest, toughest for me. And that may sound silly to some people who go, wow, I've been through way worse. But for me, that was a very, uh, a very, difficult and also a season of a tremendous growth for me. So there's been a lot of reflection in that. High achievers who are addicted to hustle and striving really don't know how to gain any, any self-worth without activity. Mm -hmm. that's, that's an amazing uh, process to go through. To, it is. To sit and uh, just, just sit with that, that, illness and the change and the, and the trauma and the grief. It's, um, it's hard, but on the other side of that, you have discovered a more life-giving rhythm for your own life and you've made new friends. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love the way that it's come together and you sound so incredibly hopeful. Um, still knowing, okay, we're going to try for three, but you're going to give yourself some time because you need to heal. Yeah. Absolutely. And just enjoy this life. You know, I, yesterday I woke up and I felt for the first time I had my usual energy back. And so what do I do? I went to mass with my husband and then he went to play golf and I spent the entire day cleaning my house, scrubbing toilets and doing all of these things and grocery shopping and organizing and washing everything. And 
Then I went for a run and a walk and I was so excited that I had the energy to do all of that. Oh yeah. And I thought, man, and then I can enjoy a nice meal and I'm actually excited about eating. It doesn't make me feel sick. <laughs> you can and taste food. <laughs> I can enjoy food. And I went and I said, he goes, what can I do for you today? And I said, all I want is a McDonald's ice cream cone. Can we just go to McDonald's for an ice cream cone? And he was like, absolutely. Oh. And that was all I wanted. It was a dollar of pure joy. Listeners out there who have not had a McDonald's ice cream cone, you should go. Oh. It is worth it. It is so good. Man, I I have for many years known exactly down to the penny how much money <laughs> I needed to get a McDonald's ice cream cone. <laughs> cone. And believe me, because of that, I think it's up to like a dollar nineteen where we are now. When I was in high school, I think it was twenty seven cents. Oh and, man. You know, isn't it funny that in college it was 35, you know, I knew exactly how much change I had to dig for to go get my McDonald's ice cream cone. See, Donna, I knew I loved you. I knew we were soul <laughs> sisters from the beginning. <laughs> I know. Well, we really did hit it off at the first time. And, um, you know, it was so funny that we just started to get acquainted when you left forward to go work for that, that company in Fort Worth. And I went, oh man, I thought this was just, <laughs> I feel cheated here, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's come back full circle because um, this, your story is going to bless so many people and they haven't even heard yet about Enliven. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're like 20 minutes in, I told you this would, I told you this would take a while. <laughs> and so just give us a quick rundown of the acronym Enliven. So it's just like the wet the whistle for people who need to come to the retreat and experience that full teaching. Yeah. Well, first of all, Enliven is, has been on my heart for many years. It's something that God gave me a download about, oh gosh, four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago. Yeah. I'm doing the math in my head. And so Enliven is an acronym that stands for the things that God showed me really really enliven a person, really allow someone to, to live at a higher level. And I think so often in life, you know, we have these, we think these things will make us happy or we're told by society, this recipe. And a lot of the stuff we get is, is self-help and do this and don't do this and buy this and don't buy this. But as I was uh, getting this download from God, it just it was impressed upon me that really to live a fully alive life, it's these little daily decisions, these little things that we can do. To, to live a fulfilling, meaningful life. And so Enliven is an acronym and, and E, the first E stands for energy. So living a fully enlivened, alive life means you have to manage your energy. The N stands for novelty, trying new things, learning new things. You know, it's so easy in life to get into a rut or to stop learning and growing as we become adults or get older. And yet novelty and variety is the spice of life. L stands for levy. So to laugh. Oh my gosh. It's hard to not feel fully alive when you're laughing until you're crying with your friends. Right. And so just embracing this idea of, you know, life is tough enough. Why can't we just have some humor along the way? Why can't we laugh? Um, I stands for inspiration. So finding the things and the people that inspire you, being a person that can inspire other people. You can do that in, in simple ways, but just getting a little bit of inspiration V stands for virtue. I think that a lot of times in life, the more that we live out the virtues that we profess and say that we believe, the more congruent we are with the person that God made us to be. And so being a person of virtue, E is enjoyment. 
So taking the time, shame-free, guilt-free to do things and enjoy the things that just bring you happiness in life. So whether it's a $1.19 ice cream cone or a Zumba class or a nice glass of wine or a morning walk with the best friend, whatever those things are, to do those and incorporate those in your life. And then the last N in Enliven stands for nurturing. So being nurtured and nurturing others. This whole life doesn't make sense if we're not in relationship with others. And this idea that not only are we called to be in relationship, but in a beneficial relationship, we're adding value and supporting and loving one another. And I think that those, those things, energy, novelty, levity, inspiration, virtue, enjoyment, and nurturing, if people take the time to embrace and to grow those, I believe they will live a more fulfilling and enlivened life than they ever thought possible. And the great news is those things are easy to pursue. They're not expensive. You don't have to be crazy successful or super rich. You don't have to be at a certain age or at a certain place in life to embrace those things and, and adopt them, live them out. Anyone, anywhere can seek out to live this enlivened life. And I know that when they do, uh, the quality of that life will increase dramatically. Mm. There's just so much life in the way you tell that story. I love the... Um, acronym as a just a a rule of life that people might adopt and we're gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna talk about this on Saturday morning when we're talking about creating a rule of life so that what our goal in the retreat is to first of all slow and establish a more life-giving rhythm and then create strategies to export that rhythm for our lives Hmm. so we can live each day wholly alive or enlivened <laughs> mm-hmm. is the key. Uh, we, we can find that in any moment if we just know how to access it. So that's, that's what we're planning to do. Exactly. Uh, and I'm so glad that you're feeling better and you can eat anything and you can drink wine. <laughs> Girl, I'm looking at my wine case right now and I've got, I've bought some new bottles today and I am so very excited for this retreat and to sample some delicious wines. Yes, you're going to enjoy this. We have um, access to some really nice organic and sustainable wines, and our wine master is so um, educated on um, so many aspects of winemaking, not just about what kind of grapes we're picking here, but she she talks about the the love and the energy that winemakers bring to the process. And Mm. Um, she's going to crack up when I tell her that I got to go do the crush this last weekend with a Colorado uh, mountain winery. Mm. And, um, I was speaking love over the grapes. I'm <laughs> literally elbow deep with gloves on, um, putting these grapes through the crusher. And I'm like, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's true. I mean, I was so happy being surrounded by wine grapes up to my ankles and up to my elbows. Mm. And it was so much fun. And the interesting thing is, um, I really think that um, there's, there's something that, that goes into that meal that you cooked after having a great day. Mm. Um, the, the love, the energy that you bring into your house is palpable through your food, through the conversation. Mm. It, all um, contributes to that life lived fully alive. 
I agree. Right before I did this call with you, I was prepping to make some carrot ginger soup tonight. So that is part of what I'm making for our dinner. And I am so excited because I have not been cooking a lot lately, but I'm thrilled to have this house smell like fresh food again. And yes, I think there will be a bottle of wine in my future. Oh yeah. Near future. So what would that bottle of wine be? What's your first Okay. Well, I don't have this one on hand, but I absolutely love Louis Martini. And I used to be a member of that winery out in, uh, in California in Napa. I am not anymore, but their Monte Rosso Cab Sauv is amazing. It is one of the richest and most full-bodied cabs uh, out in California, and it is one of my favorites. It's 100% cab? It is. Nice. It is. Okay. I'll be looking that up. Always, always looking for a new favorite. And I can tell we are like-minded in the, um, the flavor that we like in a wine. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, that velvety, yummy, full-bodied wine just makes oh, yeah. me happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That cabs and zins are normally my go-to. I've been on a zin kick for a while. What about you? Tell me about your favorite wine. Uh, Syrah. K Syrah. Syrah. So as we're mm. probably the Syrah grapes, I'm just singing to them. <laughs> <laughs> and my friends crack it up that I'm singing K Syrah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you should have seen, there's this picture of me with my arms wrapped around 48 cases of Syrah grapes on this palette. Um. And a look of bliss on my face. And then later on, um, when we got to taste, not the fruits of our labor, because that takes a year, but we tasted last year's vintage, um, a Syrah blended with a petite Syrah, which is spelled differently. And mm. this is in my book. Um, I wrote a book to illustrate the wine metaphor. And um, everybody who's going to the retreat gets to read the book so they understand what the heck I'm talking about. Comparing a Syrah with a Petite Syrah. And the Petite Syrah is that grape that brings that lovely, inky, full-bodied flavor uh, to that blend that you will love. So, mm. you know, you might leave with another favorite, honestly. I might. Anything is possible, Donna. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I know I need to go back and make sure that we have at least a couple of Syrahs to taste because, oh, it's my happy, it's my happy. Mm. But Mm. I do have a a good cab with a a steak. Yes. Uh, Especially any, any kind of red meat. I just love the marriage of those flavors and, um, we're going to have a good time together. I just, I can't wait. I know my mouth is watering already. So yes, I am ready. Right, right. So if anyone wants to learn anything more about Enliven or your coaching services, which are kind of like not completely in process, but is there any way that people can connect with you if they want to? Sure. Yeah. So I obviously got married. I changed my last name, but I still have a website, Rachel Sherburn which is my maiden name.com R A C H E L S H E R B as in boy, U R N as in Nancy E as in echo dot, uh, com Rachel Sherburn.com. So you can always check out a little bit about what I do there. And then there's a contact me form that they can email me directly. So there, there's an easy way there. You can, of course, you can find me on social media on Facebook, Rachel Sherburn Moni, um, or yeah, that's probably the, the easiest way. 
Yeah, good deal. Or just come to the retreat and meet her in person right here. That sounds like the best idea. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm glad I get to hug you in just about a month. It's, it makes my heart. At, today is the 14th of yes, October, which means we will see each other a month from today. That's right. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Yep. Yep. Well, thanks so much for giving some time, letting us get to know you, and we'll talk to you soon. That sounds great, Don. Look forward to seeing you and all the other amazing women that are going to be there. Uh-huh. Take care, Rachel. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. The two loveliest sounds in the world are the sounds of a cork popping and the sound of a wine bottle pouring. Thanks for joining us on Women, Wine, and Leadership. For the next several weeks, we're going to be featuring some of the coaches and speakers from our Life Strategy Retreat in November. These gals are tremendously talented, and they're going to give you some insight into why they do what they do and what they're going to be doing at the retreat. And if you're wondering, what is this thing? What the heck is this retreat all about? Go to 360lifestrategies.com forward slash retreats. And as usual, if you want more information on the wines we talk about, go to Pinterest and look up Donna Carlson 360 and find out all the things I have in my wine palace. Until next time.